Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. See, some of y'all don't feel this because you ain't never been in nothing where you had to tell yourself if you've been in a dark place ever in your life and you can't see your way through it, sometimes you got to tell yourself, I'm confident in this. I'm going to see better. Tomorrow's going to be better. The trial going to be over one day. I'm struggling now. See, some of y'all, see, you have to get to the point where you've been in something. And you've been in something and it's dark and you can't see your way through. And everything in your life is discouraging you. And you, you got to do like David when every, all his boys turned his back on him. He was in the valley. And all he had was an inkling of encouragement of the spirit in his life. And the Bible says that in the midst of the haterade, in the midst of the mess, David says, I, he decided to encourage himself in the Lord. You ever been in something where you had to tell yourself, you ain't had no help, no encouragement, no likes on your posts, and you just said to him, say, I'm going to encourage myself. I want to encourage somebody today, remain confident that you will see goodness while you're yet still in the land of the living. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated. So glad to be back in the saddle. Amen. Glad my sweet wife is here for the first time in a minute. Help me out, help me out. Look at it and say, girlfriend, you don't look like what you're going through. <laughs> Amen. We are so sad. She's, nobody would know that she's been in the hospital um, for about six weeks in the last few months, nine times. And I'm thankful for her to be able to be here. Um, she don't have a mask on because she think y'all nasty. Um, she has it on because of her immunocompromised because of being uh, immunosuppressed. And so um, if she doesn't hug you and you coughing and carrying on, that don't mean she don't want to give you a holy hug and be committed to the scriptures. She just want to be committed to healthiness. Hallelujah. Amen. So we're glad. We're glad for her and glad for God's grace. We're glad to be back. We miss the church. Y'all miss us? Oh man, we miss y'all. We miss y'all, and I'm, I'm excited for this fall. I'm excited about the Frequency Conference. Y'all ready? Yeah, man, we, we about to get it in. Um, excited about small groups signing up downstairs. Y'all, uh, we're starting up this week, excited about that as an opportunity, excited about all the things that's going on. Um, in less than a month from now, I don't mean to do like a BET plug, but there's a book coming out called Woke Church in less than a month, so I'm excited about that coming out. Now, hope um, it is an encouragement 
to many. Well, let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. <clears throat> and let's, uh, let's get in our new series. Turn to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. 1, 2, 3, go. Yeah. Go back to verse five. The devil getting in here. Let's rebuke him now. Starting at verse five on three. One, two, three, go. Amen. Amen. And uh, we're starting a new seven-week series through the seven churches called Conquerors. Somebody say Conquerors. 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 We're going to talk about different areas of our lives that need conquering. And today, we're going to tag this text, Conquering Spiritual Apathy. Conquering Spiritual Apathy. Let's go before the Lord. Father God, we thank you for the power of Christ. And we thank you that we're not fighting for victory, but from it. And Lord, help that to get beyond cheap clichéisms and make its way into the practical realities of our life. Lord, be, show your power. This, this is nothing for you to show your power in this place and break shackles and loose people and set folk free. So do what you do best, my king. We beg of you. Show up by your spirit. Empowered by your blood, we are. So Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer, in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Amen. Ford, Ford um, built a, 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 one of their top-of-the-line uh, pickup trucks. I'm not a pickup truck guy, but I love the commercial. Um, and in this commercial, they were showing how much they invested in this pickup truck. So they started driving the pickup truck at a, a pretty good max speed and they flew a helicopter over it as it was moving. <laughs> and into the flatbed of the truck, they dropped cement and steel in the back of it. 
And when the cement and steel dropped, it broke and kind of, and, and the truck kind of did like this a little bit. And then they had some obstacles and it did like this and it was able to move and able to do some real, real cool maneuvering in the midst of that heavy load being dropped on it. Then another helicopter came right behind it on top of the steel and the concrete that was already in it. They dropped another load and then another helicopter, they dropped another load and, and, and the truck was still standing. But not only was it still standing, it was still able to reach the speed and continue in the speed that it was going on. And the commercial seemed like it was a test. But really, it wasn't a test. It was a commercial. Why was it a commercial? Because they weren't trying to test the truck to see what it could take. Because it was already built to take what they put on it. They just wanted to show you and I what the truck was built to be able to take. I don't know who I'm talking to under the sound of my voice, but you were built to be a conqueror. Oh, uh, uh, okay. Uh, uh, in, in other words, you were not built to be conquered. If you are a believer, you are a conqueror. The question is, do you realize it? In other words, the fabrics and spiritual material that you're made up of because of what Christ did on the cross conquered for you, but gave you the practical acumen to be able to grow into functioning in your everyday commitment of conquering. In other words, one of the outworkings of the divine life that Christ has put in you is for you to conquer your challenges. Yeah. Conquer your brokenness with faith. Now, being a conqueror doesn't mean it's not gonna be difficult. The issue is, Faith, knowing that you're a conqueror, helps you to go in knowing that you have help and strength to be able to do what God has called you to do. But one of the enemies of conquering is apathy. Apathy. Somebody say apathy. In other words, apathy, if you will, family of God, is a lack of feeling, emotion, interest, and concern even coldness towards pursuing Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Apathy, spiritual apathy is the lack of interest, emotion, coldness, and even lack of interest towards pursuing Jesus Christ. I, I can tell you like this, that there is no Christian that walks with Jesus Christ that doesn't hit a rough spot in their walk with Jesus Christ where they don't experience sort of this blindness in their faith. The question is for you as a believer is not whether you hit the blah, it's what to do with the blah. And so, and so, and so we as believers need to begin to learn how the contours of the journey of walking in the great story of a believer and God's narrative in your life so that you can recognize how to have tools. Somebody say tools. You have to have some tools by God's grace that is going to help you to be strengthened to move through life knowing that there are going to be snags that hit your life. Three ways you know that you're spiritually apathetic. Three ways. Number one, when people make godly, biblical, spiritual disciple decisions, some of us, instead of thinking spiritually and celebrating, you think in the natural only. Okay, let me see if I can make that plain. See, because sometimes when someone seemingly got to their dream that you would have wanted to get to, 
and God sort of arrests them about some things in their life. And they're willing to sacrifice a personal dream for a kingdom reality. The carnal, now the godly Christian big, gives a standing ovation to the Christian that's able to give up their personal preferences for God's biblical principles. Help me today. But, 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 but see, the, the one that's carnal or the person that's spiritually apathetic because all of your aspirations lie in the natural. You don't know how to assess when someone's made a discipleship sacrifice. Because many of our lives are built on moguls and tycoons in our culture, not the kingdom. Oh, man, y'all getting quiet on me. Most of, most of our aspirations have to do with things that we're aspiring to based on quotes that could fly anywhere versus stuff that can fly in the scriptures. Number two, apathetic, spiritually apathetic. You don't feel or sense the presence of sin and the conviction of the spirit as intensely. You know you're apathetic if stuff you used to be convicted about, you can do with clean, no absolute feeling of the Holy Spirit's presence. That means you've nurtured your soul to get used to a particular sin becoming a natural state as a part of your life. Spiritual apathy, as a matter of fact, justifies things. You know, you, you know, you know, we all need to, when you're saying stuff like that, sometimes you gotta. That's how you know you're in a state, well, I deserve, you don't deserve nothing. Everything that God gives you is because of his grace, not because you deserve it. When you start thinking you deserve it, you go into spiritual apathy. Lastly, realizing you haven't consulted God after a string of decisions. Some of us, we, you know, because we in the grind culture and we in the mogul culture and everybody wants to be a boss culture, we begin making decisions based on personal passions. And so we start moving forward in all of these different things that we want to do and then they don't work out. And then you acting like God is his fault that it didn't work out when you didn't talk to him about it in the first place and he would have told you some things about it that would have helped you not to get in that position. When you have a life where you pursue your life without pursuing God in prayer, you know you've entered spiritual apathy. But the beauty of the gospel and beauty of being in Jesus Christ is that God has anointed and appointed you to be able to conquer that apathy. So now that you're able to conquer that apathy, let's see in the text why Jesus challenges them about their apathy, which brings me to my first and only point. If you're gonna conquer spiritual apathy, number one, you must recognize that Jesus expects us to have an incomparable love for him. <laughs> Jesus expects us to have an incomparable love for him. Look at verse one. Look at what it says. It says, tells John, John the OG, later in life, on the Isle of Patmos, for a crime he didn't commit. Well, a crime that's a crime, but wasn't a crime before God. And it says, write to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The Ephesian church was planted by Priscilla and Aquila, probably over in about Acts chapter 18 or 19, probably chapter 19, if you will. And, and, and this church was a theologically astute church 
very, very healthy church in its inception, uh, yet it was riddled later with a lot of challenges that Paul even prophesied about that we'll get to in a second. But Jesus, I love when before Jesus jams you up, he tells you who he is. Whenever Jesus comes to you and tells you who he is, brace yourself. Because usually if he has to tell you who he is, you're not functioning in who he is. So what he does is he, he says, listen, I'm the one that holds the seven stars in my hand and I walk among the seven golden lampstands. What does that tell us? His omnipotence and his omnipresence. His omnipotence shows you how much power he got. What are the seven stars? It's the seven angels that oversee either different regions or different churches, and they are, they, they, they are uh, not mediators, but go-betweens, if you will, of bringing messages to churches, whether it's the preacher, whether it's the angelic being. I tend to think it's the angelic beings in the cosmos. We'll talk about that in the Spiritual Warfare series this next. But here he says, listen, I'm so big, they fit in my hands, seven stars. So what Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm like a big deal. Like, like, even the cosmic beings that are more powerful than you are a mere piece of salt or a peppercorn in my massive hand. <laughs> and sometimes you got to be reminded how powerful Jesus is. And because when you're reminded how big he is, you recognize your, your commitment to self-dependence is moot. But, but then it goes from there, he says, not only... Do I have the seven stars in my right hand? But I walk among the seven lampstands. Lampstands in heaven, which are big lamps. Oh, uh, uh, lampstands are, are, are candle uh, sticks with candles in them. And, and, and he, the Bible says he walks among them. But he's euphemistically talking about this to point to the fact that he knows what's going on in all the churches. He's the divine inspector of the church. There is no church in existence that's really a church that Jesus isn't intimately knowledgeable of the good, the bad, and the ugly in. And so Jesus Christ shows the fact that he's powerful to control who's over churches. But not only is he powerful to control who's over churches, he's also able to engage the churches and know what's going on in them. Verse 2, he says, I know your works. I like this. Before Jesus jams them up, he's, he, he's beautiful enough to encourage you with evidences of grace before he gets in your grill. Evidence is a grace to show you, now you do got some good stuff going on. Let's, let's big you up in these areas. He said, I, he said, I know your work. He says, he said, I, 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 I know your works. I, I intimately know them. I know your labor. I know your works. I know your labor. I even know your endurance, how you deal with trials extremely well. You deal with challenges extremely well. You have great endurance, he says, which points to that steadfast endurance in the midst of the church being persecuted. He said, you cannot tolerate evil people. In other words, you can't put up with unrighteousness. Not only does he say that, but he says, you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. I like that part. Let me pause on that. It's interesting that, I mean, this is a big up, that the church knew how to vet out leaders that wasn't biblical. <laughs> in other words, in our day, we give too many people a pass. You, you, as the church, it, it didn't say the leaders knew that they, were, knew they weren't apostles. It said the church knew. Yeah. That means the church has to have some level of biblical knowledge to be able to assess whack leadership. Yeah. 
Ain't nobody going to talk back. You, you have the power as a conqueror to assess whether somebody's a true leader or a defunct leader. He said, and you tested them punks, and you realized that they weren't even apostles. How did they know that they weren't apostles? Because one of the things that they were taught by the Dedeke, which is the truth that was told to the church by the apostles that's written that's not a part of the canon, is one way to know somebody is an apostle is if they always focus on getting money out of your pockets into theirs. But see, we got foolishness in our culture where people run to throw money at the feet of the man of God, the woman of God. I'm going to throw my money out. It's funny, you know, people be in the, he say a point and they just come up and they just throw it at their feet and go back. And, you know, bringing stuff to the apostles' feet had more to do with the church as a whole versus sowing into an individual. Uh, anyway, we'll talk about that another time. I see somebody out there saying, man, Pastor E, don't mess up your money. No, I trust God for that. Holly to the dog on Luya. Anyway, anyway. And so, and so, so he said, you tested them. And you've seen that they, are, they, they, they call themselves apostles, but they are not apostles. And he says, and if you found them to be liars. So, so, so as we used to say in D.C. long ago, they was welling. Only a few people know what I'm talking about. But what's crazy is, is, is during this time where the church is always fighting, and this was, this was interesting, when you deal with a lot of church trauma, it leads to apathy. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me see if I can open this up a little bit. <clears throat> what happened in the church is Paul prophesied in Acts chapter 20 <clears throat> that false teachers were going to come in the church and ravage it. That started happening. We know that because in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3, Paul says, I left you in Ephesus in order to teach certain men not to teach strange doctrine. So, so in other words, they were always finding themselves on the offensive <clears throat> fighting against false doctrine. Now, when you deal with so much mistrust over and over and over again in leadership, it tends to harden you towards the church. Some of you, under the sound of my voice, have, allowed, have mistaken the true church for the hurt that you've experienced from the church. And what you've done is you've developed... A, 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 a traumatic disposition towards the church where you'll come hear a word and you'll come worship, but you won't build. And I'm going to show you in, the se in a second how, how detrimental that is to your spiritual life. And so he says in verse 3, he says, I know you have persevered and endured hardships. He said you can even go through very, very difficult things and do very, very well in continuing in the faith and walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and still be walking in a deep sense of spiritual apathy. He said, I know all of these things, and I know that you've been through all of these different things. But then he goes, and you say, he said, you have not even grown weary of fighting and committing yourselves to go and be small for the Lord Jesus Christ when it comes to the apologetics. But one of the things that's interesting with, within all of this is that most of what he's affirming them for has more to do with the task of doing stuff for the church versus being in relationship with with the church and with God through Jesus Christ. Now, some of y'all haven't become apathetic in this way because these are works of people who actually serve in the church. And because some of y'all ain't never served. Oh, y'all gonna get quiet on me now. <laughs> because you ain't never served, you don't even relate to what's happening right now in the text. You ain't never toiled in a ministry. 
You ain't never toiled in an outreach. You ain't even toiled in praying for nobody in the local church. You ain't never been to a small group. You ain't never, you ain't never helped with nothing. So you can't even relate to laboring. Losing your first love just happens to be have to do with being lazy. See, losing your first love in this text had to do with being on your grind. At least Jesus had something to affirm them for. Yeah. That he said, I, you know, you, you had these things going on right here. He said, but I, but, I, but I do have something against you. So I do have something against you. You've lost your first love. Or you've abandoned. Abandoned is a strong word. Because abandon points to the fact that there was comprehensive disregard for their commitment and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is possible to work for the Lord and lose fellowship from the Lord. It's possible to do stuff just out of rope and out of just the general passion, but, 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 but functionally disconnected to the intimacy that is supposed to fuel the reason why you're doing it in the first place. And so here in the text, he's saying you lost your first love. But what's Jesus' understanding of love? It's, it's several fold. When you look at talking about keeping Christ's commandments, it ultimately is summed up in his fulfillment of the law. To lose your first love is twofold. Number one, it's to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to point to the fact that losing your first love is not just losing a passion for your intimacy with Jesus Christ. It's also losing your passion and intimacy for the people in the local church. Oh, okay, Let, let's, let's build a foundation for this. John 15, John 15, you don't have to turn there. Jesus says, apart from me, you can't do anything. Three things I want you to do, he says. He says, I want you to bear fruit. I want you to bear more fruit, bear much fruit, so pure, prove to be my disciples. No greater love than this than you lay your life down for your friends. In other words, a sacrificial disposition that the church is supposed to have towards Jesus Christ and the body based on connected intimacy. This reality points in so many ways. You, uh, you can write this down. John uh, 3, uh, 11 is one passage that points to this reality. But there, there's this comprehensive intimacy that in the earlier walk with, with Jesus Christ. You know, I used to spend like four hours with the Lord. You know what I'm saying? Reading and all of that stuff. And people laughed. You know, older, you're going to grow out of that. And what begins to happen is apathy is accepted in the church. In other words, loving the Lord, and I'm not saying spending all your day just up in the graves talking to the Lord, you know, talking to yourself all day like that. Somebody said, I pray without see. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is there should be such a deep sensitivity and commitment to wanting to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and like what he likes and dislikes what he doesn't like without being a jerk in the culture. Right? But then it goes from there to not just loving God, but loving the, the body. Because notice that none of the activity that they did had to do with loving others. It had defending the faith. So they were good at biblical knowledge, but not good at biblical intimacy. So what happens is, is many of you have lost your first love and don't know it. Because some of you who hate the church don't realize that that comes from losing your first love. 
If, you, if your disposition towards the church is, I ain't never joined in the church, all of them are hypocrites, and that's all, if everything you have to say about the church is negative, y'all quiet on me, it's okay. Um, if, if your whole disposition is to join, because one of the problems I have with Christians and us needing to come together in loving the church is we join the world in their hatred towards the church and affirm it in a way that looks like you're not even a Christian. Like you get in the world and the world say, what about this in the church? Yeah, and it almost sounds like you're not, it's one thing to apologize. It's another thing to almost be like, don't include me with them, lest I suffer. Like I don't wanna suffer like them. Like when the persecution dropped, that's when it's really, it's one thing where somebody just put an emoji about the church up. But the question is, when that persecution, because one day, the, see, we, we enjoying a lot of stuff. We got AC, stained glass window. Listen, when, when real persecution jump off, we're going to see who, who really ride or die. Because right now, we think persecution is somebody disliking your post or saying something bad about you. But one of the things that we've also allowed to impact our commitment and love for the church is that we have become more technologically emotional versus actual emotional. Let me explain what I mean. We let, when somebody, you know, puts a post up and you put like the face with the two hearts and the eyes like you love or you'll say laugh out loud or rolling on the floor or add a letter or two there. <laughs> But, you're, but while you're looking at your technology, you're not really laughing out loud. You're not really rolling on the floor. So what happens is you become relationally anemic in your ability to actually emotionally enter in the experience of other people. You go out, 10 of y'all saying, hey, we going down to the clothes panel. We going to Center City. We going out to eat. We going to King of Prussia. 10 of y'all. <laughs> and it's like, why did y'all even go out? <clears throat> we don't know how to enter. You know when you've lost your love, when you don't enter into anybody's experience anymore. See, see gaining, your first, gaining back your first love is important because God has actually built you to conquer it. Now it's time to conquer it. Somebody say conquer it. Now, now what's interesting, as we look down here, Jesus gives the formula for conquering it. So right here in the verse, it's so beautiful, it says in verse 5, it tells you how to conquer it. He says, remember then how far you have fallen. I like that. He says, when you're no longer loving God and loving Christians, that's a deep fall. It's a fall from grace. Because when most of our talk about Jesus, his word, and his people is critical, we fall in deep from grace. Right? He says, remember then how far you've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. In other words, repeat after me. Remember, remember. Repent, repent, repeat. Repent. 
There it is. Remember, repent, repeat. This is dope. Remembering has to do with the fact that there was a point in time where you did have intimacy. Now, the problem is, if you ain't never had intimacy, you ain't got nothing to remember. So now you need to now begin to pursue intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that look like? That means get up in the morning and your phone isn't the first thing you engage. Me included. That means when you get up, the first thing we do, what were the lights like overnight? No. Good morning, Jesus. How you doing, my heavenly father? Oh, I need you in this day, God. Oh, I thank you, God, for salvation. Oh, I bless your name. Oh, give me your presence. If I don't have you today, I don't know where I'll go today. Oh, God, I, I, I want to look at my phone, but I'm going to leave it off until this particular time, unless there's an emergency. <clears throat> I'm going to look at the weather and put it down so I know what to wear. That's all I'm going to do today, Lord. <laughs> and read, read something from the Word of God. Some people are like, I'm going to read you five chapters. No, you're not. Just, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm going to read the whole book. and then, No, just chill out. Just at least try to talk to God. I'm not going to say, you got to use the formula, you know, praise and things. Just talk to him. Hi, God. Thank you or something. Read a verse and meditate on it and grab it for the day. Look at, seek him during the day. Remember, <coughs> repent, turn away from your lovelessness. That means catch yourself when you're going to be critical of the church all the time and, and of people in the church. That is I'm talking about unredemptive critique, right? Repent of, Lord, forgive me for thinking I can do this life on my own and I can actually just get in my day without talking to you. Forgive me. Forgive me for a lifestyle of self-dependence. <laughs> and then repeat. So let's, let's, do what it, let's do what it was like first. Because guess what he says? He said, if you don't, otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you replant. What does that mean? He will take the church out of existence. There are some churches as a whole that have lost their ability to represent Jesus on earth. A church closing is actually Jesus Christ extinguishing his light. He's saying, you're saved, but you're not going to represent me no more. Because you think you can get out here and do all this work without me. So if you think you can do it without me, it's no longer my church, it's your church. And since you want your church, I'll extinguish this and send the light somewhere else. But he doesn't want to do that. He wants you to repent of that reality. The Bible says, <coughs> he talks about something else he likes that they do, but he goes down in verse 7. And he says, let... Anyone who has ears to listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, one of the things I like about this is that Jesus Christ is saying that the churches hear this one message because this could reflect any church. And so he says, to the one who overcomes, I like this. Now you got to understand, you already are an overcomer because Christ died and made you a conqueror. In other words, when you look at Romans chapter 8, it says we overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. That means Christ, we conquered at the cross everything. Ultimately, he's going to come back 
and he's going to conquer sin and death, the enemy, all of that stuff, right? But in the dash, we join him in participating and conquering on a daily basis. That means now you have to commit your life to being a conqueror. That means you can't let yourself enter into apathy thinking it's okay to be distant from Jesus. You have to tell yourself today, no more distance, my soul. No more times where I'm going to be self-dependent, my soul. No more times anymore where I'm just going to not spend time with the Lord and pray to the Lord and pursue him. Even when I don't feel you, God, even when I don't get the experience that I want, I'm going to fight to be in your presence no matter what. And he says to them, he said, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You'll experience life on a way more deeper level because there are levels to this. Somebody say there's levels to this. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to get to the levels to this in a second when we get to the other seven churches. But in closing, it's interesting that a husband and a wife were on the verge of divorce. They were on the verge of ending their marriage. Husband talked to a buddy. He said, man, you need to give it one more try. He said, all right, I'm going to give it one more try. And he blindfolded his wife, put her in the car. That could have been a little scary when you're headed for divorce. <laughs> but he blindfolded her, and he took her to this place, let her out the car, and took the blindfolds off. He said, you know where you are? She said, no. He said, babe, you got to know where we are. She said, oh, my goodness. This is where we had our first date. And she, and she started laughing, and tears began to well up in her eyes. And she said, how did we get so far away from what drew us together while we were in this place? And he sat down and even had the same meal they had on that first date, and they laughed, and they were joyous. And in light of revisiting a different season of their marriage, they were able to say, man, how did we get into all these affairs? How did we get into all this unfaithfulness to one another when this right here was so pure? And he said, babe, I want to return to this moment. And I want to redo everything over. Are you willing? She said, absolutely. You have to return to the place where your walk with Jesus Christ was in a pure place. When you were sensitive to his spirit, when you did stupid stuff, like, God, should I go left or should I go right down the street? Should I go to Applebee's or McDonald's? You remember, you know, we laugh at that, but there's a, a, a beautiful... Uh, it's the, the beauty of it is like, God, I want to I talk to you. The days when you used to say, I, I know that person's fine, Lord, and they fine. But Lord, I put off, I do or do I don't? I do, y'all remember that. God, should I, it's nothing, we know decision making, all that, but there should be a place in your life where you're like, God, I don't want to return to spiritual infancy but I do want to return to spiritual sensitivity. My prayer for you today is that if you're distant from Jesus, that you would pursue the longing 
of the deer that pants after the water, so doth your soul again pant after him. I'm done. Father, maybe someone is here today and you have never met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That, that, that the reality of that is, is that he's not your first love. He's never been your love. Why is love used that way? It's not merely an effeminate reality or anything like that. It's the beauty of loving the living God who created you, died on the cross for you. Who wouldn't have love for somebody that died for them, gave their life as a ransom so they wouldn't be punished forever? Somebody took the fall for you, went to prison for you. Wouldn't you be happy? Yes, Jesus Christ took your sentence, swallowed your sentence, God's wrath was poured out on him that was due for you. He got up from the grave with all power after his death on the cross and being buried. Got up on the third day. Guess what? For you and me. If you're here today and you want to experience going from spiritual disconnection from Jesus to connection to Jesus, I want you to hold your hand up in the air. We love to talk to you about who Jesus is. I see the hand. Hold it up. Make sure you keep it up for us so we can... So we can talk to you. Hold a hand in the air. Hold a hand in the air. Anyone else? Anyone else want to put their confidence in Jesus Christ? Hold your hand up real high if you're saying, yes, I want to put my confidence in Jesus Christ for the first time. Faith in the death of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. Got it from the grave on the third day. If that's you, we love to pray what you talk to you about Jesus. Not embarrass you, but affirm God's grace on you to bring you to salvation in him. Anyone today? Amen. If, if you're a believer, if you're a believer and you know you've lost your first love, you've lost your love for Christ, you've abandoned it. And you've abandoned your love for the people of God. You know, I don't pump and prime. I want you to come forward. I want to pray for you. We got time. We got time. If that's you, if that's you, I see you, brother. Thank you for being honest. I see y'all jumping up. He wants you back. He wants you back. Come on up as close as you can. Come on up as close as you can. He's not here. He's not trying to condemn you. He's like, man, I want you. I want you. I, I, want, I, want, my, I want my friend back. Jesus Christ, I not only call you servants, but I now call you friend. Huh? <laughs> so look, Moses wasn't the only friend of God. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're his friend. Anyone else? Anyone else? I see you, sis. Thank you for coming. I see you, brother. I see you, brother. I see you coming. Anyone else? I see you, sis. Anybody else? Says, God, I want the return. I want my intimacy back. I want my intimacy. I'm going after my intimacy right now. I feel barricaded in from your presence, God. I'm going after it right now in Jesus' name. I want to pray for you. Thank you for coming, sis. Thank you, brother, for popping up. I know there are a few more. I'm going to wait for you. Thank you, sis. I saw you just get up. I want my intimacy back. Y'all ladies, thank y'all for getting up. I see you popped up, sis. Thank you. Thank you. You're saying, I want my intimacy back. I see you, brother. I see you, brother. Yes. I want my, rela my, my relationship. Your relationship is intact because he died for you. I see you, brother. I see you, sis. But your fellowship, your fellowship, I see you, brother. I see you, sis. Thank you. I want my fellowship back. I've been there. Eyes 
Tell them how you feel. And to know you more. I want to know you more. If you had a time in your past where you walked with him strong, I want you to tell him about those moments and how you felt and what it was like to be with him. Remember. Remember. He's saying that you remember. Remember. Remember how sweet the fellowship. <laughs> remember how sensitive your heart was to his presence. Remember how you didn't used to make a move without him. Remember when he first snatched you up and you were excited and happy and full of joy and peace and tranquility when you knew you are now in a relationship with God. Remember! Remember. Remember. Now repent. Tell him you're sorry for forgetting about it. Tell him you're sorry for leaving him out of your life. Tell him you're sorry for making decisions without him. Tell him you repent. I repent, God! I repent of getting up and consulting my phone before I consulted you, God. Now repeat. <laughs> now walk in the commitment today to repeat. And say, God, I return today to you, God. I return to those moments. I want it back. God says it's yours. <laughs> Conquer it today, family. Conquer it this week, family. As God has now restored your fellowship with him. It's restored in Jesus' name. 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 It's restored. It's restored. As you take your seat, let's sing that resounding deal. I want to know you more. I surrender. I surrender. One, two, three. Sing as you go to your seat. I. I surrender. I want to know you more. You more. Yes. to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. 
you can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.